Hello, I'm Grady, and this is my column on computing, Disrupting the Disruptors. Recently, I attended an event in San Francisco filled with venture capitalists on the prowl for fresh talent and entrepreneurs casting about for patrons. I frame these things as a kind of face-to-face -face tinder, but with ideas and dollars at the center of their power exchange. If you live in Silicon Valley, or New York City, or Austin, well, any such place with a high geek-to-noise ratio, you'll have witnessed this courting dance many times, not just in formal events, but also in gyms, restaurants, and even the quintessential elevator. Yes, elevator pitches are really a thing. If you don't live in one of those places, you can voyeuristically enjoy the experience by watching HBO's wonderful series conveniently named Silicon Valley. In any such venue, it's fun to play buzzwords bingo. Nowhere else will you hear words such as disrupt and innovate in such high-frequency use. George Packard observed, It suddenly occurred to me that the hottest tech startups are solving all the problems of being 20 years old with cash on hand because that's who thinks them up. Aziz Shamin put it a bit more bluntly by suggesting that San Francisco tech culture is focused on solving one problem. What is my mother no longer doing for me? Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not casting aspersions at such mating rituals. They're the sign of a vibrant marketplace of economically interesting ideas, and their existence is an important part of the innovation supply chain. The dark side of these events is that most of these entrepreneurs will fail. The naive side is that all too often you'll find people pitching disruption for the sake of disruption. The good side is that if you're patient and discerning, you'll occasionally find the glowing embers of true innovation that, with the right pairing of capital, code, and mentoring, might someday burst into flame, consuming all that surrounds it. I'd also contend that the limiting factor of disruption is rarely capital, rather it's imagination. As I've said before in this column, the fundamental premise of science is that the cosmos is understandable, and the fundamental premise of computing is that the cosmos is computable. Whereas science takes us from the unknown to the known, computing compels us to consider the art and the science of the possible, leading us on a journey to that unknown. Computing is perhaps the most powerful and pervasive force of disruption our species has thus experienced. That being said, disruption for disruption's sake is the sign of a rebellious spirit in search of something against which to rebel, simply to watch the world burn. True and good disruption tears down, but also replaces the old with something even better. How do you disrupt an industry? Question the fundamental, sacred assumptions on which that industry is founded. Tear down that industry's structural foundations, build upon that which remains standing, and start afresh with the tools of the possible for what must be rebuilt. Some years ago in the BEM, before Elon Musk I mean, I met the chief technology officer of a very important auto manufacturer who proudly declared it was on course to outsource all of its software development. Around the same time, I worked with the sadly small and underpowered development team of a very important film and camera company. Even the most casual observer, looking at both from the lens of computing, could see the shaky foundations on which each organization was boldly moving into the future. The automotive executive mistakenly assumed his company's business was making cars. He was wrong. Its business was really about providing an effective, compelling transportation experience. The film camera executive mistakenly assumed their business was selling photographic gear. They too were wrong. 
their business was really about helping individuals capture moments. In both cases, computing was the catalyst that destroyed the assumptions in which their businesses had been built. As a footnote to these stories, one of the companies these remains having refound its way, whereas the other no longer exists. I've been on a journey to explore the intersection of computing and the human experience. So, as a thought experiment, let's consider points of disruption in several dimensions of the human story. Commerce is the most obvious dimension, as the two previous stories demonstrate, but let's consider another example. Insurance companies assume certain risks to property and build their revenue and liability economic models accordingly, but what kind of businesses might be left if those risks approached zero? Self-driving and semi-autonomous vehicles are expected to radically reduce the chance of accidents. So, rather than consider themselves as being in the property insurance business, such companies might reframe themselves as being in the property data management business. By serving as the trusted broker that works across all the real property an individual or corporation owns, these companies could apply premiums to keep track of usage, schedule maintenance, suggest patterns of more efficient use, or plan replacement. Computing makes possible a shift from attending to risks for physical entities to the optimization of digital assets. War is another clear and present element of the human experience that's already undergoing disruption. Today we employ fi deploy fighters such as the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter, which assumes the presence of a human pilot. This assumption leads to several design decisions that constrain the plane's performance envelope. A human can withstand only so many G-forces. What if we remove the human? We've already done so with less maneuverable remotely piloted vehicles. The F-35 might, in fact, be the last manned fighter the U.S. Air Force ever deploys. How, then, does this change air combat tactics when we can deploy more agile performers with no risk to human life? The potential for disruption by computing touches many other dimensions of the human experience. From the perspective of individual life, we assume we're limited by time and space. But what does it mean if virtual reality can project us into times and places in ways that are so immersive that the experience is indistinguishable from reality? From the perspective of community life, we assume that language introduces barriers to connection and understanding, but what if computing yields real-time translations? From the viewpoint of how we organize ourselves into states and nations, we assume certain constraints born of historical events and geographical reality. But if we eliminate those physical lines, as the internet does, and put in place a greater balance and transparency of power, what new kinds of governments might be formed? Science itself is a target for disruption. Historically, we've conducted experiments in the physical world. This won't go away, but now advances in computational physics, computational chemistry, computational biochemistry, and even computational biology let us build imagined realities within which we can explore the world with very different economic and ethical dimensions. Even the arts are ripe for disruption. Even a superficial examination of the history of painting will highlight times of past disruption. For example, during the Renaissance, the discovery of the mathematics of perspective revolutionized how artists such as Albrecht Dürer represented landscapes and spaces. Two dimensions limited Dürer's medium. What kind of artistic expression might be open to us if we now have three dimensions? For example, filmmakers have assumed they have control over their audience's uh, focus using cinematography best practice such as the rule of thirds and the 180 degree rule. 
What kinds of movie experiences might we have if we let the viewer take control of where we look and move? Augmented and virtual reality, both children of computing, destroy these traditional movie-making assumptions. And then, we make assumptions about the nature of life itself. Today, we assign the rights and responsibilities of sentient beings only to organically formed humans. How does our world change if we give some of those rights to AIs that possess the illusion of sentience? Finally, can computing disrupt computing itself? Absolutely. Today, we assume the software-intensive systems we might build are ones we explicitly program. How does our development process change when we have systems we teach rather than program? How does pair programming work when one of the pair is a cognitive assistant with far more experience and understanding of patterns and styles than any individual human might have? What changes when we replace von Neumann models of computation with connectionist or quantum platforms? What changes if everyone has the ability to program his or her world? One of my favorite writers is Brian Andreas, who wrote, In my dream, the angel shrugged and said, If we fail this time, it will be a failure of imagination. And then she placed the world gently in the palm of my hand. In a manner of speaking, computing is that angel, an agent of change that has the potential to destroy, to build, and most certainly, to disrupt. Music